Welcome to the Leadership Matters Podcast, where we talk matters of leadership because leadership really does matter. Here's your host, Jeremy Albrecht. Hey, leaders, welcome to episode 58 of the Leadership Matters Podcast. My name is Jeremy, and I've got another LT5 edition coming up for you uh, on the podcast here. LT5 stands for Leadership Top Fives, and I had the privilege of sitting down with an incredible intentional leader by the name of Bill Markham. Bill currently serves as the lead pastor of Central Community Church in St. Catharines, Ontario, here in Canada. And he leads a team of directors, four different organizations, the church, and then there's three other ones. Uh, He'll explain what those are in a moment in the interview. He's also the host on uh, 700 Club Canada. He does various speaking engagements. He's a volleyball coach. He's a, a husband. He's a dad and now a brand new grandfather. And I just had an incredible uh, time with Bill, just gleaning from his insights, his experience. Uh, again, Bill is a, an incredible thought leader. He's a practical. He's very intentional with all of his time. And I met Bill a number of years ago, just sitting under one of his talks as he was out speaking. And uh, he just impressed me right from the get-go, held my attention the whole time. And uh, I believe he's about to do the same here in this interview for you as you listen. And so without further ado, here's my conversation with Bill Markham. Bill, why don't you, some of our listeners may know who you are and a little bit about you, but for those that don't, why don't you take us back just a little bit, your journey, what got you to, to where you are today and, uh, and just what you're currently doing, what you're up to. Uh, where you're leading, all that sort of stuff. Give us a little snapshot of of how you got there too as well. Yeah, well, first, thanks for having me on. And I think leadership is critical. And so doing this is a fantastic service. Thank you for doing this. Um, yeah, for me, uh, my journey begins, yeah, right from the very beginning. I grew up in a pastor slash missionary home, grew up in Asia, in Thailand, and in that context, saw need uh, in its rawest form, human need and suffering. Mm. And so for a very early age, kind of felt compelled to do something to alleviate suffering if I could. And right. I'm not just talking physical, emotional, relational, spiritual. So anyway, long story short, uh, went on my own direction at 17, lived the typical North American, live totally for yourself. Hmm. mentality and found incredible emptiness in that and realized I did not want that to be the trajectory of my life. So at 17, made a decision that I wanted to serve people. Uh, I had a crossroads when I was uh, working in a restaurant in the restaurant industry at about 21 and had an opportunity from my boss to launch my own restaurant, to be a manager. And and the appeal of, of making a ton of money was there. But I also realized that I would be sacrificing a deeper part of myself, that I Mm. was on this planet just to make money. I was here to serve people. So that was the turning point to what I do now in leading people. And my vision is really, really simple. I, I remember at 17 saying, if I could help 10 people be who they were created to be, I could die content and happy. Wow. And that began that journey of leading uh, and of course, I had to learn how to lead myself first. Sure. That was the hardest part of the journey because you can only lead people to where you've been. Um, That's right. And so, yeah, so basically uh, that brought me to where I am today. Uh, 22 years ago, I came to St. Catharines, Ontario, not recognizing necessarily at the time that this would be a life mission or vision. Right, right. Become that I will I will die here, be buried here, because I just love the Niagara region. I love the people here, and I see so much promise in an area that, you know, many are really quite negative, um, lost a lot of its industry, and is trying to redefine itself. But okay. yeah, I just love the opportunity to serve people and help them see that they can be better in the sense that they can be fully who they were created to be. Wow. Bill... You currently lead there in in St. Catharines, as you've said, and and now currently serving as the lead pastor, but you didn't start there. Uh, What are a few of the other positions you held, you know, up to presently that have you leading there as as kind of the, and you're leading not just even the church, but you've you've told me before, 
listed a, a few organizations. So tell us a little bit about that and how you kind of manage all that. Yeah, so I have pretty much done everything that needs to be done uh, <laughs> in the church world. So when we came here 22 years ago, the church was uh, going through a really tough phase. It lost its identity, didn't really know what okay. was what direction it was supposed to be headed in. So there's a lot of conflict, a lot of turmoil, a lot of people leaving. Right. And had a great history. We're a hundred years old, we're a hundred years old now, but had an amazing history, but just had lost itself. And again, sure. good leaders, first of all, need to tap into the identity and the DNA of the organization that they're leading. So mm. I had the incredible privilege of serving under Darren Latham um, as the associate pastor back in that, those days, though we we, uh, we, I just did everything and we, we really wanted to drill down to what is the DNA of Central. So we asked, we asked those who are faithful, loyal, who are still hanging around, what do you really want? Right. <laughs> and they said, we want, a, when we got past all the language, you know, the, sure. rhetoric, yeah. the right answers, we got to the heart of it. And it was, we want a, we want a space where our grandchildren would come. Wow. So that began this journey of, okay, well, let's, let's really redefine the language that we use, the, the styles and methodology, because our message is sacred. It doesn't change, but our methods must. Right. One of the great analogies that we used was of a bridge in uh, somewhere in South America. And um, it looked like a really good bridge, but there had been a major flood and the river moved. So the bridge was actually over dry land and the river was next to it. <laughs> the point is, is that the bridge had served a lo lot of people, thousands of people. It was still a really good bridge. It was engineered well and had brought a lot of people to safety, but it had become irrelevant because the river had moved. And the question was, if culture is shifting and moving and your, your audience or those you're serving are also shifting, how do we build new bridges? Um, and, and sometimes it means you have to maybe move or let go of the old bridge, the old sure, sure. model in order to do that. So basically I did everything. I mean, I did everything from youth, young adults to starting groups to uh, creative art. I even was the worship pastor, which is the most hilarious thing if you've ever heard <laughs> uh, for a year, simply because we needed to do it. I was, right. my, my philosophy was I will do whatever it takes to help us fulfill the vision and the mission that we have. Right. So I did that for uh, seven years as an associate pastor I, and literally, literally did everything. But uh, at that seven-year mark, uh, Pastor Darren Latham felt called to go back to BC. And at the time, he said, hey, let's go to BC and kind of do what we did here. Right. And uh, So he said, yeah, in my mind, I was already packed, ready to go. It was great sure. to see kind of where, I, where I moved from and felt like that was it. But the only way I can describe it is I had a deposit. Uh, I'll call it a divine mm. deposit. There was an idea of a vision that was birthed inside of me and it was unshakable. And it, it was so, the passion was so deep that I knew I couldn't go to BC. I was supposed to do something here. Wow. And literally I got up and, and it was in the middle of the night. And that's usually when I get these ideas. Okay. Uh, it's three o'clock in the morning and I wrote a 10 page docket um, of a vision that I had for what could be in the Niagara region. And that was the beginning. And so, you know, I didn't know what to do with that. I just presented it to the board and said, hey, here's what I think could happen. And it was big. It was audacious. It was, it was yeah. a little crazy, to be honest with you. But sure. But they said, OK, well, let's try this. They gave me a shot. And even though I had no experience as a lead pastor, they knew my character and they knew my passion. And so, yeah, that was 20. Well, yeah, 22 years ago, I started. And um, for the last 15 years, I've been the lead pastor. And that, and that as a result of that, our organization has grown. And we're starting to, I mean, the vision is still ongoing, but sure. phases of it. So currently there, there are four organizations that uh, kind of give oversight to. Um, so there's our church. Um, there is central, what we call Central Niagara, which is our for-profit organization that runs the building. We built a brand new facility, $26 million facility that wow. uh, was, with, it had a, a the idea was that it would, there would be no single purpose space. So okay. every single purpose. And that meant, meant primarily for the community and specifically for the next generation. So our auditorium converts into a gym. Um, our, our kids ministry area converts into a, a childcare daycare. So, wow. um, so yeah, so I oversee the church. I oversee central Niagara, which runs the building. Um, we have directors in each of those areas, but I just, okay. the, the, the lead team. Right. We have Community Crew, which is our anchor cause, our non-for-profit that feeds uh, children in schools, uh, especially uh, disadvantaged kids. We just learned that one of the greatest needs 
we just asked our leaders, our mayors, what's sure. this need? And one of the needs was kids are going to school without food and nutrition. And as a result, it's impacting their studies and will not break the poverty cycle. Um, and so how can we change? We said practically, how can we change that? Just by providing meals. So that's community. Wow. And then our childcare and uh, our childcare is exploding. We, we have about 150 kids on the waiting list. So there's, there's oh, those. Then on top of that, I also host a TV show called 700 Club Canada. Uh, I fulfill a lot of speaking engagements. I'm also a volleyball coach. I coach our local high school, senior boys and senior girls team, along with coaching a travel team. Um, and then on top of all of that, I am a husband, a father, and recently a grandfather, which is one of the greatest joys of my life. Wow. Wow. Well, that's a lot to manage, Bill. You are a busy guy. And uh, I know you're a driven leader with such high capacity. It's one of the things I, I've always admired about you. Um, and, and we'll get into that and, and how you do all of that, how you, how you manage all of that in, in just a minute. But before we get there, before we move into more some of the leadership disciplines and habits that you have personally in your life, tell us, tell our listeners, just what's your favorite absolute joy in being in ministry? You've been in it for, for such a 31 years now. What is your absolute joy about being in ministry? Well, the reason I do what I do, the thing that gets me up in the morning and gives me peace at night, if I can fulfill it, is simply helping people become who they were created to be. Hmm. I realize I can't do that for them, but if I can point them in the right direction or right. give uh, some idea of breaking mindsets around, especially around fear. So really I, I've, you know, my friends, uh, even some of those, especially those who don't go to church will often ask me like, what do you believe or what drives you? And I've really right. boiled down uh, everything into three statements. I actually believe every human being, regardless of your background, your story, your uh, obstacle, you were created to make the world a better place. I just believe hmm. that. Um, the second principle is that I think love is the only thing that will do that, that the truth to truly become who you were created to be and to make the world the place it could be. Love must drive every decision, every right. thought, every word. Yeah. And finally, Jesus in my mind, in my, uh, is, 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 is the best example of what that really looks like. If you were to take love and put skin on it, um, Jesus is that. And so I follow him. And so for me, if I can help people move one step closer to that reality, that first of all, you got to break this lie that, you know, life is meaningless. You actually right. know there's meaning and you were created to make the world a better place. And if you can learn what love looks like and you can accept that, uh, then you can express it because you can't express what you haven't experienced. And so Jesus mm. stepped into this world and he showed us what that actually would look like if we would all make love the driving force of everything. And he changed the world, literally changed the world as a result of that. And so if I can help people understand and live in that, that gives me incredible joy. Wow. Well, you can tell it oozes out of you, Bill, and you can hear and sense the passion even in your voice today. Um, just again, I want to just drill down on something you said uh, even there, just and just wondering about, you know, a lot of our listeners are church leaders leading in the church today and knowing just even across Canada, the, the struggle that many of our churches are facing, not all, but uh, about two thirds of our churches are either in decline or maintenance mode. Why do you think that is like, you just listed some things personally, you know, kind of your, your personal mandate you feel from God and helping the world experience and, and be better. And that love does this. And Jesus is the model what do you think is missing in a lot of our churches today, why they're not growing and, and why they're not experiencing uh, or, or even carrying this message that you just articulated so well? Uh, why do you think that's the case for Canada in particular? Yeah, well, I think in particular, human nature is to codify and build exclusive sets around mm ideology. And we've seen this uh, escalated during COVID. 
Right. It's, it's a part of human nature. It's a part of our survival instinct, uh, the herd mentality that sure. you know, for thousands of years, we had to codify our ideas and build, you know, tribes around those ideas. And, that, right. and that's how you knew who you could trust and who you would be safe around. The problem with that is that if the uh, ideology or the methodology becomes exclusive, then you lose your way. And that's where we get war and strife and and pride mm. and all the things that actually destroy human beings. So right. the very thing that we lean into for safety actually becomes our destructive force. It's unfortunate. So I think it happens in churches all the time. We we fight the wrong things. Uh, right. We fight people and not the things that are keeping people captive. We fight for our ideas and our preferences rather than fighting for love and unity. And so I know that sounds kind of like idealistic and romantic sure is actually the message of the right. Bible right. that the one thing that this world was supposed to know us for what the one thing that's supposed to make us different is our love for one yeah. another despite our differences despite our preferences and so what happens is we have certain experiences with God and then we think well everyone has to act like that or have that same experience or we have an insight and we think well everyone has to think like me or everyone has to act like me do it this way and those are actually, even though those are great experiences, when they become the main thing, rather than what drives you back towards loving people, loving God and loving others, for that's the great command, right? Right, right. Um, I think that separates us. And so I think churches mm. simply, maybe, again, I, I say this respectfully, because there are many, many great churches. Sure. Um, and every situation is unique, but they've lost their way in the fact that they are fighting against people and fighting for their ideology rather than wow. trying to figure out how to love God and love each other. And as simple as that sounds, it's really difficult because we want to be right. And right. it's about being right. It's about being in right relationship. Um, we want to have it all figured out and you never will. Yeah. So learning together how to figure this life out. And so I honestly think it's quite simple. We get hung up on, yeah, the methodology over the message right. and fighting for the wrong things. And I think that's why Jesus in his prayer for the church said, you know, may they be united. May they learn to love each yeah. other. Like I love, you know, I love them. So, yeah, I think it's it it real simple. It's like we've just lost what it means to really love people, even right. when we don't agree with them. Oh, it's so good. Bill, you said something uh, a while back just in leading people and, and asking people. I think it was back in the beginning when you started there at Central. Uh, what, do you, what do you guys really want? And this relates to what you just said. Um, but you said you had to get them past the rhetoric, you know, and get to, you know, the right answers, everything else. But no, what do you really want? What do you think, what would you say to leaders out there who are trying to get their churches, their people past the rhetoric? What's the best way to do that? Or what have you found in your experience anyways that have been successful for you in getting people past the rhetoric to, no, let's really go deep here. And what do we really want to be about as a church, as a people? What do you really want? How do you get people past the rhetoric? Yeah, that's a great question. I think leaders need to learn to listen. Most leaders I run into, and myself, my natural inclination is to think that I have to come up with the answer. I have to come up with a solution. And to put it bluntly, I have to be the savior. Right. I've got great news for you, leaders. You are none of those things, and you yeah. don't have to carry that weight and responsibility. That is just a pressure that will crush you. Hmm. Really great leaders um, here, they listen. And of course, in our context, it's those who listen to God first. God, what right. do you really want to do? What do you see? But then really who listen to people. And the problem is that most people don't really know how to articulate what's really going on. And it's not that they're bad. They've just never learned to really be honest and blunt. And so they're sure. trying to frame everything through a lens that is maybe manipulative or controlling. And so they use aggressive language, hurtful language. But if you can see past all of that, there's something deep inside of them that is stirring. So mm. really good leaders listen and, and then direct through really good questions, people to what they're really saying, what do they really right. want? Right. Wow. So on the surface, if you, if you're trying to, it's, it's like a doctor, if you're, if you're constantly addressing symptoms, 
it'll just be frustrating for you and for your patient. You got to get to the root cause unless the root cause changes the symptoms. I mean, you can put a bandaid on it. It just doesn't heal it. Right. So for a lot of leaders, they're, they're constantly addressing symptoms, or I call it the urgent or, you know, the surface, the immediate sure. must be done now, instead of actually going, okay, what's actually at the root of this? And what if we got to that? And so for us, you know, when we asked really good questions, it came out, yeah, they, people just love their family and they love their kids and they just want their, the very best for them. And I, I, that to me is the, the loving thing. Yeah. So yeah. if you remind them of that, then it's like, okay, so when they don't like a certain thing, you remind them why. So I'll give you a, just a simple example. Yeah. They said, okay, we, we want to attract our grandchildren. So that meant, well, okay, if you want your grandkids to come, the music has to kind of appeal to them. Mm. And so right. the volume got a little cranked up. We added lights <laughs> and, and, it, and people did not like that. And I can remember many conversations at the soundboard, someone complaining about how loud it was and we're distracting. Sure. And I and then my simple, but again, rather than reacting to the symptom, I got back to the heart and I'd say something like, yeah, but look around, what do you see? Right. I said, what do you mean? What do you see people? What kind of people? Young people. Exactly. Young people. Because remember, that was the heart of what we were after. Wow. Often people would either be angry and walk away, but most of them were like, oh yeah, thank you for reminding me. Because you just need to remind people sure. because our confirmation bias and our propensity of preference is so strong that unless we have a, a heart-wrenching vision that we can continually reference back toward, right. everything becomes a problem. So you just have to reference back to what really matters. And it really is people. And so, you know, for us in our context, we had, we've navigated a lot of very difficult conversations and I get accused of all kinds of things and sure. they are hurtful, but sure. at the end of the day, I'm reminded whenever someone who comes to church for the very first time, and that happens every week here, I meet someone who's new, right. uh, not only just new to church, but new to faith. Um, someone brought them They're So excited to introduce me. I remind, that's why we did this because someone is going to experience the message that there's a God who loves you no matter what you've done and has something great for you because of all the things we did that seem on the surface, right, right. Uh, you know, maybe a preference thing. So sure. don't get locked in preferences, get to the heart and you've got to communicate that over and over and over and over again, ad nauseum. Sometimes you're thinking like, man, people are thick. Yeah, we are. We are. Yeah. Very thick. Yeah. So you must know why, why, why. Why am I doing this? And that must drive every decision. Uh, it's so good, so good, uh, Bill. I want to. I want to move into this. is This is so good. Just absolute gold here, uh, and and not even covering a lot of the questions, which is the sign of a great interview, I think. Um, but let's get into some leadership top fives here uh, for this particular interview today. I want to just pick your brain here a little bit about what goes into keeping you healthy as a leader. Um, disciplined, and and we know ministry is a marathon. And so, in terms of personal habits, and and I'm speaking outside of the the typical um, faith leader uh, disciplines like reading your Bible, prayer. Where I'm just yeah. going to assume those are a part of your life. Yeah. Um, and, and so, outside of those, what's maybe the most effective? Um, your top one in terms of, of personal disciplines, like if you could only keep one personal discipline habit, what would it be that, that has really been so significant to you and your leadership? Yeah, that actually is quite simple for me. It it's being really strict in your time management. Mm. Time is like water. It always runs to your lowest point. And right. so what you will find is if you are not on top of your time management, time will just drain away into things that are wasted and mm. ineffective. And people will often say to me, man, Bill, you're so busy. And I actually disagree. I'm not busy. I just really try to be efficient with my time. Right. And so there's a lot of, there's a, it, time is your most valuable commodity. The, I, you know, people forget that, that, you know, they, you've heard the phrase time is money, but it's way more than that. Time is your future. How you spend your time today is going to determine what your future is like. Wow. And so you got to learn to live out your priorities um, and achieving your goals really is, requires being intentional and disciplined in this area of time. Because if you don't, you'll become a slave to the urgent all the time because there's, mm -hmm. listen, there's, there's unending demands. And if you give into those demands and the urgent and the immediate, it'll rob you of the important. And I'm talking about your body, your mind, and your soul. So I learned very early as a leader 
um, actually when I was getting a master's degree, that if I, cause I had a master's, I was working on my master's degree. I was working full time and right. I had a, um, wow. and I realized if I don't get on top of this, it's never going to happen. Hmm. And so I, that I developed a habit and what I, it's, it's called what I call forecasting. So I take about every three or four months, I take a day and I just reevaluate my entire life every minute. Um, hmm. and it might seem like maybe uh, not that important for many people, but to me, it's everything. Because I look at how I spent my time in the last three or four months and I go, okay, what was wasted? What was valuable? What had long-term implication? And um, what, yeah, what could I have done more effectively? And then I actually forecast a, a schedule and I'm, I'm diligent and religious about my schedule. Right. And when my kids were little, for example, I actually booked my kids into the calendar. People say, oh, that's so cold and callous. No, it wasn't because it reminded me that I had three kids and each of them needed my one-on-one -on -one attention. And when someone else said, Hey, I really need you to come here. I really need you to do this. I said, I'm sorry. I'd love to. I have a previous appointment. Um, not, my kids knew that nothing was going to take their place. Right. When I scheduled something, I was there. And one of my, one, one of my greatest, as I look back at my life now as a grandfather, one of the best investments of my time was I was at every one of my kids' major events in life. I just refused mm. to miss those. So um, good. And then, and then of course, for me, my personal discipline. Um, so every day I, I get up early, um, I work out, um, and then I uh, orient my brain. So I, I work out I, my body because I want to, yeah. I want to be able to hold my grandkids, yeah. my, hopefully my great grandkids. Uh, I want to be healthy. I engage my mind. So I reflect on the day. I write a to-do list every day. Um, and they're the things that I, I need to get processed based on my calendar. Right. Um, and then my spirit. And that's like you already mentioned, I, I spend time just reorienting, putting myself, centering myself yeah. on the message of who Jesus is and what he wants me to do. So, yeah, for me, it's time management. And I like literally everything it goes onto my calendar, even the smallest things, 15 minutes, five minutes, whatever it takes. Sure. On my calendar. And I don't let anything. I mean, again, there are emergencies. Sure. There, but I don't let anything interfere with that. It, Bill, you've you've already alluded to this, but you know, some leaders might look at that so regimented to a calendar, so strict, so so fixed that you know, where does that leave room? And it's so regimented. Um, do you find that that actually gives you more margin in your life by doing that? And instead of because some would argue and say, well, there's no margin, there's no, you know, um, what would you say to that leader who who says that? I schedule margin. Hmm. <laughs> Like I literally have, so yeah. uh, I, I'm very fortunate. I have an assistant. Um, and so in my schedule, my calendar, I have appointment slots. I have free slots. I have study slots. And what I've done, even, even with meeting people, you know, I, I give them 30 minutes and I let them know up front. Sure. You have 30 minutes and people say, well, that's so cold and callous. What if they have more? Here's what I've learned. When you tell someone they have 30 minutes, they come into your office, they get right to it. Yeah. We don't spend yeah. time talking about the maple leafs as amazing right. as they are. Well, <laughs> hopefully this year we don't waste, we don't waste time. Right. You right. get right to the heart of it. And if it's something that cannot be resolved in 30 minutes, which most people can articulate and get it through uh, in 30 minutes, then we re reschedule, have another appointment. Another, another challenge some people have is they say, well, you know, I need to see it right now. It's a crisis. And I've learned about crisis. Crisis is going to be there tomorrow too. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, unless, unless like your life is in jeopardy, uh, sometimes actually a little bit of breathing space helps you process your own thoughts. So, mm. yeah, so I, I actually craft margin into my schedule. And so what that means is like, yeah, I have time off and I, 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 that's when someone says, Hey, on a Saturday, can you come and do this? It's like, Oh no, sorry. I have something already scheduled. Yeah. Even if that schedule is bills, time off rest, right. right. I need to rest as well. So yeah. I would just say, there is margin. You just hmm. carve it in. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's good. Great advice. Love it. And it reminds me of, of Jesus. You know, I think the, where we go astray with our time is when we forget that our time is limited and we become so much more intentional when we realize that we don't have all the time in the world, that each of our days are numbered. I think that's why Jesus was able to do exactly what the father sent him to do in a matter of three years. And yet he was never never late, never find him running. Um, he just was so intentional with every moment of his day. And uh, that speaks to me so much. And it, it sounds a lot like how you've uh, scheduled your days as well, Bill. 
so well, good. I think, he, I think he also went away to recalibrate and reorient. Yeah. Yeah. Because there were so many demands and he disappointed a lot of people here. If you're going to do right. this, get used to disappointment. You will disappoint people because everyone expects that you should do whatever they want when they want you to do it. Hmm. And that's not how it works. Leaders must lead themselves. And then in doing so, model to others how they can lead themselves too. And so right. Right. I think I think Jesus was a great example of that. Yeah. And, and kept him from being, like you said uh, a bit ago, just from being a slave to the urgent, you know, mm -hmm. it allows you to keep the important, the priorities there at the, in the, the main, to keep it the main thing. So good. Uh, Bill, I want to move on to, to uh, a second question here. I want to ask you just in terms of relationship and, and in your own family marriage, what's the best piece of practical advice now? hear my heart in this. We have so many leaders where it seems like every day, every week, we're hearing about another leader who's, you know, fallen, made a mistake, messed up, however you want to phrase it. Um, but what's one of the best pieces of practical advice you could say to leaders today in terms of keeping their own relationships, their own marriage healthy and strong, uh, thriving and not just surviving and sacrificing that on the altar of ministry or, or leadership or wherever their context of leadership might be. Yeah. I would say keep everything in the light. Hmm. And the best way to do that is communicate everything. Um, and that is very difficult for people because the fear is if I tell you everything, then you're not, you're going to reject me. Right. This is the great fear. This is the great lie that keeps so many of us from true intimacy. Hmm. Um, whether it's a, in a marriage relationship or in a friendship. Right. Um, and so I would say communicate everything, even if it's difficult, because it's much better to deal with a stone in the shoe now than a boulder rolling down the hill and crushing you later. Right. So, for me, that means communicating expectations. Um, and my wife and I were very different, which is actually why you off, you marry someone who will make you better. There's something that attracts sure. you to them. Sure. And if you're willing to bring that out. Um, and of course, love languages, if you've never read that book, is really great. And understanding how people are wired and what motivates them is really helpful. But it brings real clarity. I'll give you a, a funny example, a small example. So um, when we were first married, uh, every Saturday night was always tense. Um, I was always trying to watch the hockey game and and my wife would, and I would, there was a tension in the air and I couldn't sure. figure out why. Sure. Until we started communicating openly. I said like, what is happening? Why is this happening? And it, it was really clear. There were certain expectations I had and she had, and they did not, they did not gel. Right. They, right. There, there are things I was, she was expecting I would do and vice versa. And so we'd go on a Saturday and be really, really frustrated at the end of the day. So we resolved that by saying, okay, let's, let's talk about those on Friday night. What are the expectations for tomorrow? Right. And, uh, and then we'd agree to do that. And then once those things were done, we could do whatever we wanted. Um, and so that was a really big one or raising kids. How are we going to discipline kids? We need to be crystal clear. We need to be on the same page. So I think communicating brings clarity around expectation. And that's honestly a lot of our frustration is just unmet expectation. And so true. it's unmet is because we never talk about it. True. And once we talk about it, then we can kind of come to a resolution on how we're going to navigate that. But it also, in communicating openly, allows you to carry your burdens. And I know it's a Christianese word, but your burdens. Um, the truth is we as human beings were not designed to carry things on our own. We were just mm. designed for relationship. Yeah. And, and in ministry, as leaders specifically, there's lots of things you try to carry on your own and it will crush you. You weren't designed to carry it. So that's where our message where, you know, Christ says, come to me and, you know, with your burdens, yeah. cast your cares on me. Yeah. Um, this is where he carries the burden. But I think our, our partners carry that burden, too, if we can do it well and wisely. And then, the, and then the final thing is it destroys secrets and isolation. That's, you know, when you read all, all these people who fall, it didn't, they didn't fall yesterday. It was like, yeah. that was months, months, years in the works. And it was small right. little things over time, incremental, um, where it, it, it suddenly got exposed. So the sooner you can expose things, as soon as you identify something, expose it. If you need counseling, talk to a counselor. If you, right. You need to talk to somebody because the things in the secret grow and they become monsters that are uncontrollable. And then you think, how did I get here? Well, it started with one thing that you kept 
in the dark. Yeah. And so my encouragement is just don't keep anything in the dark. No, oh, that's good. Solid advice. Uh, Bill, parenting, uh, I know you've you've mentioned you're a grandfather now, so a little bit different stage of life, exciting stage to be in, but you've parented three uh, children who are now adults. Um, any bit of advice, especially for those leading in, in ministry context, raising kids in the church, you know, oftentimes it's the PKs, it's the labels, you know, our kids can struggle so much. Anything as you look back on your three kids, one thing, hey, I'm super glad that we, my wife and I, you specifically did, you've already mentioned the time and scheduling time with them. I think that's so key and so important, but anything outside of that you can think of right now, you'd say, man, this really kept our kids like engaged and just, uh, you know, knowing that, that, you know, all in an attempt and we, we can't safeguard completely it's out of our hands our kids have to make their own choices at the end of the day spiritually uh where they're gonna what they're gonna choose but anything that you can pinpoint and just say this was was such a such a good one for us to to keep at the forefront in parenting our kids yeah well i mean i'm going to use a blanket state statement to start but don't sacrifice your kids on the altar of task Mm. or performance Um, so one of my greatest joys in life is that my kids still want to be, hang out with me. Um, even though they're all grown up and live on their own now, they text me all the time. Uh, two of them were, uh, two of them were over yesterday for dinner. Um, we just, I I love the fact that we have a relationship and, and here's, here's, here were some key things for me in that. Um, first, I, I learned to really listen to my kids. I talked about it as you know earlier about leading, but you're leading your children too. Sure. And I, and I listen not to fix them, but to mm. empower them. Most parents listen to their kids to fix them. They're they're listening just for the moment to correct. Oh no, no, that was wrong. Oh no, you shouldn't think that. No, you shouldn't have done this. And I and I learned very early that that is not the most helpful. They will ask you when they want you your help right. to fix it. Right. What they are trying to discover is, am I okay? And I'm thinking and processing these. So um, I learned really early to try to listen to my kids, not to fix them, but to empower them, to let them be who they were created to be and listen for that and to champion that, even if it wasn't what I thought was best. Um, sure. Second, I, I also had to recognize that they really are not mine. Um, they're really gods. I believe that. I believe that they're his and we are stewards of that incredible gift. It is the most yeah. amazing gift God gives um, because it's a reflection of his heart. He creates us out of relationship and right. he gives the opportunity to create out of relationship as well. So it says um, in the Bible and Proverbs, train up a child in the way that they should go. It's not your responsibility that they go that way. It is your sure. responsibility to give them every opportunity to know the way to go because ultimately they have to choose it for themselves and it has to become personal. The problem is as soon as you start again, going back to our original conversation, um, mandating and forcing and building boundaries that are exclusive and, you know, basing their value on their performance or how they fit into your mold, you are going to lose them because we as human beings were designed to push against the mold to be who we were created to be. Right. Um, and then the final thing was me, me and I, I'm so goal oriented. I know it sounds kind of crass me when you talk about relationship this way, but I, I, I always went, what kind of people do I want them to be? And for me, I wanted my kids to be free thinking, fully functioning adults, not children dependent on me at 37 years old, right. not in my image. They were, they were not created in my image, not thinking what I think or doing what I want them to do, but rather free thinking, fully functioning human beings. And there's a cost to that because they do think things that I don't sure, think. Sure, um, yeah. And but, but they are forming who they were created to be. And it's a beautiful and a wonderful and a powerful thing. Um, and so for me, it's just, yeah, listen, recognize they're not yours. You're just a steward and really determining what would I really want them to be and um, articulate that and shoot for that. That's good. Bill, you know, knowing that you are such a driven, goal-oriented leader and have accomplished so much and and just 
yeah, just a, a part of so many various things. Sometimes our kids can feel that even without us putting the pressure, we do everything to keep that pressure, that performance stuff off of them. But growing up as Bill Markham's son, Bill Markham's daughter, there is a pressure, whether you want to, uh, you know, we can do whatever we want. And I've had this conversation with three, with all three of my kids. Mm-hmm. And, and I think it's one of the most powerful conversations I've ever had with each of them individually. And what's come out of that has been, uh, I'm just wondering, like, have your kids ever voiced that? Have you ever had that? And I don't want to get too personally either to, you know, expose any of them, but have, have any of your kids voiced those pressures of, you know, it's really tough being your son, being your daughter, because you do so much dad, like, um, have you had those conversations or not even have you had them, but, um, have your kids voiced that? Have they, do you think they experienced that? Maybe you could just speak for them instead of exposing them, because I know those, those could be really personal conversations, but have you tackled that? Have your kids had to tackle that? Or what would you say to parents who are maybe, you know, in the spotlight a little more and their kids do experience that pressure, even though parents are doing everything in their power to keep that pressure off them? Yeah, well, I think you 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 figured it out. It, it's just you have to talk to them all the time and you have to protect them. You got to protect them from the pressures that other people will put on them right. unfairly and the pressures that they will put on themselves. Sure. I'll, I'll give you I'll give you an example that, you know, isn't isn't a spiritual example, but it's a it's a physical example. I love volleyball. Um, it's why I coach. I coached all of my kids um, and I told them every year, like, you don't have to play volleyball. Um, and, and as long, and when it stops being fun, you stop. And, um, and, and I don't, I have to be your coach, you know, and you, you keep talking to me about, about that because right. your expectation and your, uh, you know, personal person is more important than, than my sure. pressure or expectation. So, yeah, I think you just keep talking about it. Yeah. Um, you're right. They can't avoid it. So you have to help them navigate those pressures. Um, and, and they can get pretty dark and pretty heavy and yeah. you have to be okay to sit in that with them and go, I'm here. It's okay. And in this moment, you don't have to perform it. You know, it, basically all of it breaks down honestly to is to performance. Yeah. And we live in performance when, when you live in a performance-based relationship. And I think a lot of Christians actually live in that with God. And it's why it crushes totally. that we are not called to live in a performance-based relationship. Um, but in, in communicating and, and through, you know, honest conversation, I think you can help them navigate that. Is it perfect? Nope. Do they have to figure it out? Yep. Do you have to watch them struggle? Yes, you do. And yeah. that's the hardest thing as a parent, cause you can't save them from that. Yeah, for sure. But you can just continue to encourage them to be who they were created to be and that you will be happy with that. No matter yeah. what it is, you have to celebrate that. You've got to let them figure it out and you have to mm. celebrate. That's good. Great advice. Bill, switching gears a little bit here in terms of, and you've mentioned the volleyball a little bit, and I know that's a huge part of your life and a, a door into the community, but as a, as a, you know, a leader, you're leading four different organizations, part of 700 club, all sorts of things on the go, a dad, husband, grandfather. Now, how do you as such a busy leader stay so tied, so intentional in your community and reaching like the mission, because we all have a personal mission. And sometimes we can excuse ourselves of that as, as leaders in the church. We, we think because we're leading in the church that we don't have to be making disciples as Jesus commanded us all to do. Uh, But we figure because we're helping our people do that, that we get excused from that. But I know that's not you. I know that's not your heart, but how do you do that? Um, Tell us a little bit, let us in a little bit into how you stay so connected and mission-minded in your own life. Yeah, well, you know, it does start with priorities, but here, here's here's what I've learned, and I'm still learning this. So I'm a very task-oriented person, and you may pick up on that, <laughs> but this is not a task. Hmm. This is has to be a heartfelt passion. Yeah. So for me, I don't see it as a task, as something I'm doing with an agenda or to accomplish some goal, because people smell that they sniff that out. If you're just their friend, so you can get them to cross some finish line or get some spiritual notch on your belt, you're actually, I actually think that's anti-Christ. Because what I love about Jesus was that he was present. Um, And 
and that's the word incarnation. We it's this big theological word that just means God showed up. Yeah. He showed up in our mess and he loved us in our mess. And so for me, you know what? It's just show up. So when I coach in the high school, I don't have an agenda. I'm just there to, and, and you know, the amazing thing is it's in those long drives to a tournament or in a, in a heated moment in a game or whatever, where I get the opportunity because when you are present, then that opens up opportunities. You can't manufacture opportunities. Yeah. You can't manufacture spiritual conversations. You can't, you can't force this. You can't schedule this. You can just be present. And when you're present, it creates opportunities. And then finally, I, I just, in those, I realize there's, I don't have an agenda. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to convert you. Of course, right, of course, I love right. Jesus, but that's not my, I'm, I'm just your friend and I'm just present. And so for me, it's how many, how can I be present in every situation I'm given so that opportunity is created? And often those opportunities, I become better. Like yeah. I, I'm not in this thinking that I'm better. I'm not sure we're, we're figuring this out together. Um, and then I think when those conversations happen, so yeah. So how do I do it? Uh, I just stay on mission by just being present. Yeah. When I'm given an opportunity to have a conversation, I try really hard to be present in that conversation. When I get an opportunity to serve in my community, whether it's coaching or talking to one of our mayors, I really try to be present in that moment. Um, and I have no agenda other than to just somehow be present um, because mm. I think that's the best way we reflect the love of God. Oh, that's good. Ministry is uh, is no joke, Bill. It's a uh, it's a marathon, as I've already said. Um, and again, just it's not it's not about sprinting. And and leaders uh, often with so much charisma and competency, this often gives these types of leaders um, platforms and positions and and leading at levels that maybe their character hasn't necessarily um, grown at the same pace and same rate. And so sometimes this is why we see these leaders tapping out or, you know, falling. Um, talk to us for a moment, just maybe about a, a guardrail, a boundary you have. It's, you know, there's no messing with this, whatever the stakes, because I, I've said this before, and I found this to be true in my own life, that keeping your character intact will cost you something. It can be costly at times, uh, but it's worth the cost. Um, so talk to us what you've been intentional about placing in your life as a guardrail, a boundary that's kept you in, in ministry for so many years, kept mm -hmm. you going and, and kept you healthy. Yeah, well, we already talked about it, but, it, but the first one, again, would say time management, how you manage your time right. um, guards you from, again, wasted time and, and time drifting into things you shouldn't be in because you're, mm. you're focused. Right. But I would say the second one, and I don't come by this naturally. I had to learn this one really, really the hard way in many ways, but you build really solid systems or accountability structures around you. So we call them policies here. And, and I think policies are good for organizations. It, I'm not a pol I'm, I'm not great or naturally, I should say, I'm not naturally inclined to policies, Okay, but I've had to become very proficient in them to run the organizations at the scale that we do. But I've also, it's the same in my own personal life. So I have my own personal policies. For example, I will never, ever, 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 ever be alone with another individual without an accountability structure. So if, if they're meeting with me, they meet in a public place. You can, I have windows in my office sure, sure. in the building. Um, or if I'm in a position where I get really stuck, the first thing I do is I'll call my wife. I say, hey, here's what's happening. Here I am. I'm, I'm, you know, I, this is, I'm going to call you back in 15 minutes. Here's, so I've built really robust policies that right. got my own life. Yeah. I have safeguards on my computer. I have safeguards on my time. Um, and, and I find in that accountability, that's where you find you, you, you build those guardrails. So you just, do you determine what, but the policy is what I will not do. It doesn't limit what you will do. Just to say, just sure. say what I'll yeah. not do. So just like a guardrail on a highway that's, uh, you know, has, on a mountain says you should not go, you will not go over right. this cliff. That's exactly what a guardrail is. And so I determine first and foremost what I will not do. And then I create systems to make sure that I can't do that. And if I do, someone else will know. Right. And the more you do that, the easier it becomes. Um, so, and then, 
And then what, what keeps me motivated, and I think this is why the Bible is full of stories, is I keep stories on hand to remind me of when I've kept the guardrails, <laughs> uh, this is what happened as a result of it. Mm. And so I have so many great stories of just, you know, and and some are good and some are bad. Like we learn a lot from the bad stories. That's actually why we as human beings gossip. We gossip actually to learn. It's our way of saying, was that okay? And when we discover, no, that's not okay. So when you talk about leaders who fail and fall, I have some very close personal friends who did not have the guardrails. And I remind myself of that constantly because I don't want what they've had to go through as a result. But I also think of the positive ones, you know, that like we talked about our kids, when my kids will come and say, dad, you know, when we did this, wasn't that awesome? It was a guardrail that I'd put up right. um, in a positive sense and it paid dividends. So, yeah, I, I, again, it's time management, really, disc- you know, building your time around what is important to you and then building really rigid systems. You know, um, you know, they say up a bird cage keeps a bird in. Yeah, maybe. But it also keeps the cat out. Sure. And so you you build systems and then when you're tempted to wonder if it matters you keep telling yourself the really good stories yeah anyways that that's how, kind of how i manage it no that's good i heard leaders talk about the first two before but never the stories yeah i like that just keeping the stories in the in the back of our our minds our hearts all the time of life transformation so good well, Bill, I, I know in, in terms of your time that you've scheduled time for this and we appreciate it so much. And so we are coming to a close here. I want to I want to be sensitive to your time and your busy schedule. Um, but as as we wrap up uh, in terms of maturing and growing, um, I have experienced in my own life that that growth and comfort cannot coexist. And if you want to continue to grow, it, you've got to be OK with being uncomfortable. And and so knowing that. Um, Talk to us for a moment, maybe some of the ways that you're currently growing, uh, where you're growing, how you're growing. It might be books, resources, podcasts, conferences, whatever speakers you've heard. But uh, what are you learning? How are you growing currently in this season of life and ministry? Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, the first one, if you you grow your mind through reading. Um, and I think reading, most of us are tempted to feed our confirmation bias. So we read things that... Mm we like to read or uh, are comfortable or safe to read. And so one of the things I try to do is read outside of my comfort zone, hmm. um, read Dawkins and just see what, okay, right. why, why are you so opposed to my particular worldview? Maybe what can I learn from it? Maybe my worldview sure. isn't amazing. So um, of course I do also read books that, that I find beneficial. Like my latest was Craig Rochelle's lead. Like it matters his latest book, which really was, was powerful, but I also listened to a lot of podcasts. So I love, I love history. So I listened to like Dan Carlin's hardcore history. Uh, I will listen to, you know, social uh, media uh, commentaries like Peterson or even Joe Rogan. Again, it doesn't, yeah. it doesn't mean that I agree always, but I, sure. but it's my mind. Um, I try to stay away from the news because I just find the news is just too biased one way and negative. Right. Um, but, but I also love engaging my mind. So authors like Carolyn Leaf um, or The Power of Habit are books that I read on how to develop my mind through neuroscience. So yeah. I, I, and I, I read books on envir- the environment. I read books. I, I try to read things that are current, what people are actually discussing. And I try to read the opposite of my perspective sometimes. Right. Right. I can get a balanced perspective. And actually, it's fascinating when you go with an open mind to go, I could actually learn something. You you discover something about yourself and about the world that is truly helpful and beautiful um, because mm-hmm. it puts you on a on a level playing field with all people, no matter what their viewpoint, no matter what their worldview, you, we can find something in common. So, yeah, I, I guess to break it down, simply listening to podcasts and reading books um, I also have the privilege of, of sometimes writing a forward for some of my friends who are authors and so I'll read their stuff, but um, yeah, just staying open to what people are thinking, why they're thinking that way so that I can understand it and maybe help in some way, navigate an answer. Awesome. Bill, any new habits, any new disciplines you've recently incorporated in your life that you're seeing huge benefits or uh, just growth from? <laughs> I, funny you ask. Actually, yes, uh, I, I've started a new diet and uh, that actually has rejuvenated me. I also okay. lost my way through COVID around taking care of my body the way I should. 
Hmm. So I've been re-engaged in that and feel really great about that. Um, yeah. So really the latest disciplines have been more around my physical well-being, yeah. um, but also with my mind, um, just again, really form re re-engaging the discipline of every morning, waking up and making sure that body, mind, and soul are engaged before anything else happens. Hmm. So, yeah, I would say COVID threw everything kind of into chaos. We got, I got, I got a little lazy because sure. I was stuck at home and yeah. I got caught in some of the negative narratives, but no, I would say right now I'm, I'm really working hard on, uh, on my physical well-being, my mental well-being. And then of course I have a ton of dreams. And so right now I'm just building a whole new strategic plan for the next 10 years. Uh, we got into the new space. And so I spent a lot of time on that as well. Mm. Awesome. Bill, I want to I want to wrap this up uh, just with a couple one offs. So I want to ask you pick your brain here before we let you go. But what would you say to 25 year old Bill if you had to go back and tell yourself something that you know now only through life experience leading at this level for so many years? What would you say to 25 year old you? Don't let this moment, whether it's good or bad, define you. Hmm. Let who you really want to be and what you're called to be define you and stay on course. Um, I think it's too easy to get caught in the moment. And there's there's power in the moment being present, but don't let the urgent distract you or, nor define you. Mm. Don't let the mistakes define you or your successes define you. Be a, become a person of character um, and discipline yourself around that. It's good. And what are you most excited about, Bill, as you look ahead toward the future? Uh, you said you got lots of dreams in your heart yet, and uh, you're writing and leaning into some of those. But what are you most excited about? And it could be personally, it could be at a leadership level, but what, what excites you in the, in the future? And this is going to sound kind of strange, but, but just bear, bear with me. Yeah. I look forward to my funeral, <laughs> not me personally. But at the funeral, having someone say, because he was in my life, I mm. realized I had value and purpose. And I want, I want my life to matter. Um, that to me excites me. That's what gets me up in the morning to, to know that I could potentially, in some really small way, be a part of a much bigger picture of helping someone become who they were created to be. And I'm not going to define what that is for them. I just want to, you know, give them tools or encourage them or cheer them on to be the very best because I believe God created them for greatness. I do. And mm. so that is what excites me. And I know that sounds a little bit morbid, maybe, but um, mm. I want, I want people to say, you know, because Bill was in my life in some small way, I just, I believed I could be better. That was it. Wow. Well, that's a great way to uh, to wrap up this incredible interview. And uh, I think it speaks to just who you are, Bill. And and I I think great leaders always live intentionally with the end in mind. And you've just summed that up by having the end in mind. And I don't know how many times I've told young leaders always have the end in mind. Think about your funeral, you know, that very thing, which you're right, can seem so morbid, but I think it keeps us on the straight and narrow. It keeps us on the right path. And we always have that end in mind. So uh, thank you for this, Bill. This has been absolute gold today. Just appreciate it so much. Before we let you go, where can listeners find you if they want to follow along, track along with Bill Markham, what you're doing, what you're up to, where can they, where's the easiest way to find you online these days? Well, you can go to our church website, centralcc.ca. Um, there's that. You can also go uh, on the 700 Club Canada. Uh, website or on Facebook with both of those or Instagram, whatever way you want to follow um, those, those organizations. And that's probably the best. I'm kind of private in other areas. You won't see me sure. post a lot, but uh, yeah, if you want to follow what we're doing, you can go to centralcc.ca or the 700club.canada.ca. Awesome. Well, Bill, thanks again. This has been so rich and uh, I know meaningful to so many who will listen to this. So thank you. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure. There you have it, listeners. A little snapshot into the mind, into the personal space of Bill Markham. And I want to thank Bill again just for his time today and just appreciate his insights 
and opening up, being a little vulnerable in his own space and allowing us to learn from uh, just an incredible leader here in Canada. And so thank you, Bill. As always, if you have found this helpful today, this episode in particular, go ahead and share it on your socials. Share it with a friend, share it with another leader who uh, might find this helpful and beneficial to their own leadership today. We here at the Leadership Matters podcast believe that leadership is a pretty big deal, that if it is influence, then influence matters. And that means then that leadership matters. And if leadership really matters, we want to help you be great at it. We do believe that healthy leaders produce healthy ministry, healthy leadership, and so uh, that is why we do what we do each and every time here on the Leadership Matters podcast. So go ahead, leave a like, leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast, and until next time, remember that your leadership really does matter. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Leadership Matters podcast. If you've enjoyed the podcast, why don't you take a moment and subscribe on iTunes to ensure you never miss another episode. Until next time, remember your leadership matters.